Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We can approach you no other way, but through Jesus we can come boldly. So Lord, we come before you now asking you to speak to us. Lord, we have spirits, and we have spirits that want to hear you. So Father, we now ask you, through your word, to challenge us, encourage us, to impress upon us truth today that we might respond. So Lord, we want to be sensitive and open to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm a dog owner. How about you? You own a dog? I'm also a child, I don't want to say owner, um, parent, okay? And we had a neat thing happening this weekend, and that was our oldest son was coming back to uh, visit with us for the weekend. He's in the United States Army. And um, he has a special relationship with our dog. And so um, our dog needed a haircut. So, you know, we knew that Mushi wanted to look nice whenever Jacob came to visit, right? I mean, you do too. If somebody's coming to your house, you want to look nice. So, so I told Nancy earlier this week, I'm going to make a phone call. Actually, she told me, please make a phone call if you have time and set up an appointment for Mushi to get a haircut. That's my dog, by the way, not my son. Um, Mushi to get a haircut. And so I started calling on Monday. I called our groomer. Hey, uh, yeah, I need to get my dog in for a haircut. Oh, I'm sorry, we're all booked up. Would you like to make an appointment? No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll call back tomorrow. So I'll call on Tuesday. Hey, I need to make an appointment for my dog to get hair, his haircut. His name is Mushi. Remember him? You like him? You give him a good report card every time? You have any openings? No, I'm sorry, we're all booked up. Would you like to make an appointment? No, no, I'll, I'll call back tomorrow. Thursday, I call again. Hey, I need to get my dog in. It's like getting very dangerous around here. He's a giant puffball. He's a Shih Tzu dog, and he doesn't really get long hair. He just gets kind of big, okay, like a lamb, okay? And so he's getting bigger and bigger. It's going to be an emergency situation. Get stuck in a doorway, you know? So, do you have any openings? No, I'm sorry. We're all booked up. Would you like to make an appointment? No, that's okay. I know, stupid. That's okay. I'll, I'll call back later. So I call on Friday. I need to get my dog's hair cut. It's an emergency. 911. Do you have any appointments? No, I'm sorry. We're all booked up. We're booked up till Monday, she told me. Would you like to make an appointment? I said, ma'am, I got to ask you a question. I have called every day this week, practically. I've called practically every day this week. And you guys are booked up. You've got no openings. What is the deal? Do you know the answer? She said, well, sir, it's Easter weekend. Like, you know, what is wrong with you? Do you even have a brain in that head? It's Easter weekend. Now, for the dog lovers in the room, and if you, you know, if that's, if that's important, that's fine. I, I, I'm thinking nothing bad about you, but I'm just like, scratch my head Easter weekend, so everybody gets their, hair, their dog's haircut? What is the deal with that? M- to make a long, long story short, he's still a giant puffball, okay? We had to press through this horrible, dirty time of a big, ugly dog, and somehow he was still loved. But what does this show us? Easter, for some reason... Now again, this is nothing against... I love dogs, okay? Especially Mushi. I love him. But Easter's not about him. 
It's not about him. It's not about pictures of Mushi. It's not about celebrations with Mushi. It's not about dog biscuits in a basket given to Mushi, although we probably have done that. That's not what it's about. Easter is interesting. It's not about chocolate bunnies. It's not about peeps. Okay? It's not about our animals. That's not what it is. It's not about that basket. I got nothing against baskets. I'm hoping to get a basket when I get home with candy in it. Uh oh. Yeah. I steal from the kids. It's not a problem. Easter, though, is about the resurrected Christ. That's what this is. That's what it is. It's funny. Christmas has kind of been taken over, you know? Christmas has been taken over. In many ways. But Easter right now, and we have the peeps, and we have the dog appointments. But in truth, this one is still remaining a little bit true to what it's about. And I want us to look at that today. The fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead. You know what? We could all take a trip. We could all take a trip right now. We could get in a car and drive out to Mississippi. Would you like to come along? Because in Mississippi, there's a grave there. Joseph Smith died in Illinois, okay? And I misspoke, not in Mississippi. The Mississippi runs through Illinois. Joseph Smith died in Illinois. And he was buried right near to the Mississippi River. And what happened is, in 1928, Joseph Smith was the founder of Mormonism, in case you didn't know that, okay? And in 1928, the river started to rise. And some of his Mormon followers got a little bit concerned that his grave might be washed away. So they dug up Joseph Smith and his wife, They exhumed the bodies, they took pictures, and they buried his remains in a more secure place. We could travel to the remains of Joseph Smith. We could get in a plane and fly to Saudi Arabia. And there in Medina, there is a giant green dome. And that is the burial place of Muhammad. And there, there are are gold, um, sort of gold statues that that hold a black drape that keeps somebody from coming to that site where Muhammad is buried. His body, the remains of his body, are there. We could could fly to Sri Lanka, okay? And there we could find, this is kind of strange, a relic. From who? From Buddha. See, now Buddha's body was cremated, except for some of his teeth. Kind of strange, isn't it? And there in Sri Lanka is a relic, is a piece of a right tooth of Buddha. And there before it today are people worshipping this relic of the dead body of Buddha. There's a whole list of those that have been religious leaders. We could go to their tomb today. L. Ron Hubbard, you ever heard that name? Scientology, cremated. Ashes scattered in the Pacific Ocean. Mary Becker Eddy, ever heard of her? Yeah. She started Christian science. Her tomb, Massachusetts. You could go there right now. Charles Russell. He's the one that started the Jehovah's Witnesses. He is right now buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And above his tomb is a seven-foot-tall statue that we could go and look at. Over and over and over, there are these individuals who started religious movements. And today, we could go to where their body, the remains of their body, is buried. And we could find it. But folks, there's nothing in the tomb 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing there. There was a large stone in front of the tomb. And when his followers came to take care of the body, that rock was rolled away. That sealed the tomb. That kept us from looking in and seeing the tomb was empty was rolled away. The Lord Jesus Christ lives today. And what the Bible makes painfully clear over and over and over is this truth. If Jesus Christ is not living today, if He is not living today, I would say to you, if you come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ never resurrected, walk away from Christianity because it is worthless without the resurrection. It is absolutely worthless. It is foolish. It is empty-headed. Paul says you're a moron. He wrote much of the New Testament. He said you are a moron if the resurrection of Christ never occurred. Today we're going to look at the resurrection. We are in Luke chapter 24. Turn your Bible with me, would you? Luke chapter 24 is where we're at. And we are going to read the account, one of the four accounts of the resurrection of Christ But as you turn there, I want to just quickly go through some things that are only true because of the resurrection of Christ. While you turn to Luke chapter 24, I'm going to put some verses up on the screen that that show some truths about the resurrection of Christ that we need to understand today. Because this is a big deal. We don't follow Jesus because He's a good teacher. We aren't here reading the, the words of Jesus that are highlighted in red in many of your Bibles. We aren't reading those because they're neat thoughts the good life principles, because He's a great servant. That is not why we are following Christ. We follow Him because He is God in the flesh. And in His resurrection, Jesus brought us something called regeneration. That's to be made new, to be reborn. And over and over, the Bible takes those two R words, resurrection, dead and now alive, and regeneration, dead and now reborn, and brings them together. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no regeneration. Without the resurrection of Christ, you and I are not alive. You and I are not alive without the resurrection of Christ. Without putting my trust, listen now, without putting my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am dead. Dead. Needing resurrected. Before we go to Luke 24, I've got, this, I've got the verses up here. You don't have to turn to them. Just as I talk, you can put these up. First of all, we see that Jesus is God. Romans 1.4 tells us that. That it was in His resurrection that we saw that Jesus is God. He's not a good teacher. He doesn't have good ideas. He's God in the flesh. He is deity. He is the Lord. In 1 John 2.1, what it says there is that we are going to sin. We're going to sin against a holy God. But when we sin, we have an advocate at the right hand of the Father. You know what an advocate is? It's one who represents you. Because Jesus is alive, and He's my Savior, when I sin, and trust me, I do, when I sin, and trust me, you do, when we sin, we have an advocate at the right hand of the Father who says, God, no, I died for that one. 
I died for that. So we have confidence that we can come to the Father. I've got one who speaks on my defense. Have you ever just wanted a big brother? Have you ever just wanted somebody who would represent you? you ever just wanted somebody that would come alongside and they've got your back? They'll take care of you? In Christ, you have that. But it's dependent upon Him living. See, if He's dead, He can't be an advocate because He's dead. It's common sense. Next, we need to realize from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this is the very basis of our faith. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, empty. If Christ has not been raised, our faith is empty, is what that means. Futile, worthless, blow on it, and it falls down. If Christ had not been raised, all this is is a bunch of hot air. And while you're sitting here listening, I don't understand. If Christ has not been raised... But if he's been raised, what the Bible calls preaching is the power of God. Because we're pointing to Jesus. More, more, more. Our very standing before God. Our st- Romans 4, listen to this. He was delivered up for our trespasses. So he died for our sins. And raised for our justification. Now what does that mean? Justification, big word. Here's what it means. If you are justified, God looks at you. He sees you with all your nastiness. He sees the thoughts that you have. He sees the inclination of your heart. He sees the things of your past that if we put those on a screen up here, you would die of embarrassment. And if you're in Christ today, If you put your trust in Jesus, He looks at all that, and then He looks at His Son, the resurrected Son of God, and says, you, into your name, declared righteous. You have my righteousness. And so if you're in Christ today, listen, when God looks at you, and He does, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. When God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means that you are justified. And that is dependent upon His being resurrected. I mean, the truth here is just overwhelming. Acts 24 says that it is because of the resurrection that we have hope. We have hope. You know, I love and hate funerals. I love and hate them. I hate them because I hate to look in the eyes of a crying person. A broken, sad, heart-wrenched person. And many times, as the pastor, sort of running the funeral, I have to work hard to keep my own emotions in check so that I don't get carried away with emotion. But at the same time, we walk out to that graveside. And there we stand, beside the coffin, that's going to be lowered down on the ground, and covered up with dirt. And I think, as I'm standing there, one day, 
this ground is going to open up. This ground is going to open up and the person who's passed is going to rise from the dead. That is the hope that we have. Jesus said here, what we know is that we are the first fruits. Go to the next verse for me. We are the first fruits. I'm sorry. Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits. The first fruits are this. When you go out there and pick all the apples off the tree, okay, and you're pulling all those apples off, you know what the first fruits are? You got it figured out, right? They're the first fruits. It's the first apple that you take off. And what it means is there are many others coming. There are many others coming. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. Folks, this is good news that Jesus Christ is resurrected. You're in Luke 24. Let's just read through it. Let's read the account. There's four accounts of the resurrection of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All share information about Jesus being resurrected. They have different sort of details, okay? They're spoken from different perspectives. Um, when you read all four of them, it can be hard to really understand what all's happening. There's a few truths that are evident, though, in all of them. We'll talk about those right now in just a few minutes. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. Prepared for what? Prepared to care for the dead body of Jesus. The followers here that are coming to the tomb don't realize what's going to happen. You see, we're reading this now from 2015. They're living it in like the year 31 and they don't know what's getting ready to happen. And they have come to the grave to prepare the body for burial. According to their customs, traditions of the day, we embalm bodies. That's not what they would necessarily do. They're going to prepare the body for burial. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now this amazes them. Mark records that on the way, in their conversation, they're saying to one another, how are we going to move the stone? This is a bunch of ladies coming. A bunch of women. And they're saying, how are we going to remove the stone? Now they know there's a group of Roman soldiers there that are guarding the tomb. And so maybe they're thinking they're going to help us. I don't know. All the Bible records is they themselves don't know how they're going to handle this, but they're amazed when they get there and the stone has been rolled away. Verse 3. But they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke says the body isn't there. While they were perplexed about this, and that is an understatement, let me tell you. I'll tell you about the word in a minute. Behold... Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. The word here is the word for lightning. It is a flash as they're there. It's the same word that's used for Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration when He is transfigured so that His disciples can see His glory. We have two angels here. Angels don't show up a whole lot, but when they do, you know it often here in the Bible because they're dazzling. Okay? And as they were frightened, not the angels, but these women... They bowed their faces to the ground and the men, said, the men said to them, and listen to this question, I love it. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Man, I could preach so many messages from that question. Why do you seek the living from among 
the dead. In this passage, what that means is, Jesus isn't here, so why are you looking for Him? He's not here, but has risen. Remember, the angel said, how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered His words. Can you see Him in your mind's eye? I picture Him. They're like, I got it. They can't believe what they're experiencing. And returning from the tomb, they went and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So they find the disciples of Jesus and they tell them what they have seen. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other one with them, who told these things to the apostles. So these women are identified. So when, during this day, you could find them. You could ask them about this. They're identified. They go to the apostles and they tell them. But, verse 11, these words seemed to them an idle tale. The disciples didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They said, that's impossible. That can't happen. And they did not believe them. But Peter. Now, Peter is very active, okay? When, when there's a situation, Peter goes to action. And now Peter rises up and runs to the tomb. So though he did not believe at this point, he knew something was up. And he runs to the tomb. John tells us he's running with him. The two of them now are running to the tomb. And they stooped and they looked in and they saw the linen cloths. Now these are, this again was a burial custom of the day. When they took Jesus down from the cross where he had died and bled and been tortured and given up his spirit, they would wrap him in linen cloths and then place him there in the tomb. And there they find these linen cloths by themselves. And Peter goes home and marveled at what had happened. It's a miracle. And he knew it. I want to just point out three quick things Okay, about the resurrection account here in Luke chapter 24. And you're this. When it comes to the resurrection, i got a couple things I want to say to you. Okay? One, come and see. Come and see. Come and see that He's resurrected. I invite you to Jesus. I invite you to evaluate it yourself. I invite you, don't just take my words for it. You come and see. You search out the truth. You come and see. And that day it was Peter going and looking in the tomb. It looked a little different for you now. I'll help you on that in just a minute. But you come and see. And the second thing is when you get there, you believe and live. Believe what you find and live and live. Be alive. Don't be dead anymore. Live. And finally, once you come and see and once you believe and live, you do like everybody else who ever experiences this. Everybody else who comes and sees and believes and lives, they do one thing. Every single one of them, every single time, they always do this. You know what they do? They go and tell. They go and tell. For instance, did you watch that game last night? Great game, wasn't it? I'm trying to make a habit of not staying up 
on Saturday night. Because I don't want to be sleepy here in front of you guys. So I don't want to be yawning and that kind of stuff. So I try to go to bed pretty early on Saturday night. But last night, that's one of the few sporting events I will press through and watch. You know what's interesting? Today I walked into, into this room and I bumped into several people. And instantly I'm like, hey, did you watch that Wisconsin game last night? Like, yeah, wasn't that awesome? And we get talking about the game. What's interesting about that? Nobody had to tell me to do that. Nobody said to me, hey, Lo, when you go to church tomorrow, make sure you talk about the game. Okay, all right, I'll put that on the list. Thanks for the reminder. Nobody has to do that. You know why? Because I saw it. I believed it. I'm excited about it. And now I'm talking about it. The resurrection should be that way. If we grasp what this means, we come and see. We believe and live. We go and we tell. Let's look at the come and see. As I said, it's the first day of the week, verse number one. First day of the week. Why not the day after? Good question. Jesus is, he loses his life. He gives up his life on Friday. They're going on Sunday. Why didn't they go on Saturday? Well, because Saturday is the Sabbath. And these are Jewish women. And so on Saturday, they are not to do any work. So they didn't do anything on Saturday as far as taking care of this body. They followed the law at that time. And I would say to you, according to Colossians chapter 2, that was the last sanctioned Sabbath. That's it. That's a shadow of what is coming. This is the last Sabbath. And now we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And so these good Jewish women, on this first day of the week, go to take care of the body. And you know what? For them, it was an act of obedience. It was an act of obedience. I don't think they fully understood yet what this meant. But they went there, and amazingly, the stone is rolled away, verse 2. We've already talked about this a little bit. I mean, why did the stone have to be rolled away? Jesus, in his resurrected body, walks through walls, folks. He ascends into the heavens. This is what the resurrected body of Christ does. So why on earth did that stone need to be rolled away? Was Jesus inside? Don't hey, somebody let me out of here. Is that what's happening? Absolutely not. If Christ wanted, wanted to, he could walk right out of that tomb. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away. But you and I did. We did. We needed the stone rolled away so that these see the burial clothes. And God does this for us as we come and see. God's invitation to you is this. Come and see. The Old Testament says this way. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The New Testament says this way. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Come and see. I invite you to approach the Lord Jesus with this kind of prayer. Jesus, if you're real, If you are real, speak to my heart as I read your word. And then you pursue him. Somebody said this. It's a great truth. That God is like a lion. The Lord Jesus is like a lion. You don't have to defend him. Just let him loose. He defends himself. If you want to know whether Christ is the truth, you pray a prayer to God and say, Lord, I want to know. I don't want to play Sunday school anymore. 
I don't want to inherit my faith from my parents or my grandparents. I don't want to just sort of walk and toe the line. That's not what I want. I want to know if you're for real. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what is behind or in front of your name as far as title or degree. If you need to today, you pursue Christ in that way. You come and see. And He will roll away the stone that is there keeping you from the reality that He is true. He is real. He is your Savior and died in your place. Come and see. Come and see. That's what, that's what Mary said. That's what these women went and said to the apostles. Come and see if you don't believe. Peter and John go to the tomb. You know what they do? They go back to the upper room. Like, hey guys, come and see if you don't believe. And then the twelve go to all the land. You know what they're saying all the time? If you don't believe, come and see. Come and see. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus appeared. And by appeared, I don't want you to think that means like, ooh, a ghost comes. The Lord Jesus walked up to people post-death. After He died, was resurrected, walked up to people and ate with them and talked with them and challenged them and encouraged them. 1 Corinthians 15 says over 500 Witnesses saw the risen Savior. And I would say this to you. You want to know if He's for real. You want to know if He's for real. My first invitation is, you pray a prayer to God. Truly from your heart saying, God, if you are true, if you are real, I want to know it. You pray that prayer. I invite you to read the Gospel of John. But quite honestly, God can use any part of His Bible in your life. I'm not worried. I don't have to defend you say, come and see. The second thing I want you to look at, i got a verse here up on the screen, I think. Maybe I didn't put it up to read it for you. It's Matthew chapter 5. Listen to it. It says, you are, and this is speaking to believers, believers in Christ, you are the light of the world. Believer, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I've invited you to come and see. The second thing I encourage you to look at, I want you to find a believer that you know. Suppose today you're wrestling. You may even be a follower. You may say that you're a follower of Christ, but the truth is you're wrestling. You're wrestling. I invite you to find a believer today a person that you know is a follower of Christ. I don't mean they go to church. I don't mean they own a Bible. I mean they're a follower of Jesus. And I want you to watch them. I want you to watch them. And I want you to see what happens when their boat gets hit by a giant wave. I want you to see what happens when their house burns to the ground. I want you to see what happens when their spouse says, see ya, and walks out the door. And you watch their anchor hold. You watch their anchor hold to the ground fast. Come and see. Jesus says this to us. You are the light of the world to his followers. And if he waved his finger across, it would have been across thousands 
And there were some there in that finger-pointing area who knew, I am what he's talking about. And see what it looks like for a follower to experience life. And you will see God is true. That's what Jesus said. Come and see. You see, probably we're not going to walk up to the tomb of Christ. Now, we could. It's empty. But very likely, we're not going to do that. But you know what? I'm watching some of you. I'm watching. It's like there's a big stone in your life that rolls away. And I look inside and I see when you struggle, when you suffer, when you lose your job, when you lose your child. I see. We see. And I have to come to the conclusion that your God is real. Come and see. And when you get there, jump down with me to verse number 4. Now they were perplexed by this. Now, that word perplexed means to be anxious. It means to be at a loss. It means to have, just be, have no idea what you're going to do. Okay? I mean, you just, you're, you're just gone. You are tossed over, is what this word means. They are perplexed. And these two people come to him in verse number 5, and, and they're frightened, yes, and they bow down, but they say to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Now, it's interesting that word, I'll just real briefly explain this to you, where it says, but he has risen. That's not actually literally what it says. Literally what it says is, he has been raised. Now, if you remember 10th grade grammar, okay, I just used an example of a passive verb. Has been raised. I know, some people are like, 10th, I don't remember 10th grade. We're talking about 10th grade grammar. Passive verb means this. The, the one, Jesus, in this example, isn't the one doing the action. The action is being done to Him. So who's raising Jesus? Well, over 28 times in your New Testament, and I, honestly, I just stopped looking because I got a little bored with it. Over 28 times, the New Testament tells us that it is God who raised Jesus. This is the almighty God of the universe who raised Christ to life. Now you say, what's that? why is that a big deal? This is the same Jesus who on the cross said this, God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who says that? Who says, God, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you somebody who says that. Somebody who is under the consequences of sin. When you are under the punishment of sin, when you yourself and me, when we are feeling the weight of sin, we look up. God, why have you... I can't come before you. Why? That was the prayer of Jesus on the cross when He took our sin. When He took our sin upon Himself, God and Jesus, their fellowship is broken. Broken. But don't fret. God raised Jesus to life. 
and now their fellowship is restored. And it's a beautiful picture of what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, separated from God by sin. But through the cross of Christ, we have been brought into fellowship. So now I have relationship with God. I had a good friend who would explain fellowship this way. It's really hokey, but it'll work, okay? He, said, he would always say this. It's like two fellas in a ship. <laughs> I know, it's really, really hokey. But it works. You and I, separated from God by sin, brought together into fellowship. Do you long for that? Listen, that's a rhetorical question. That's a rhetorical question. What that means is, I'm asking a question that I don't need you to answer. Because I know the answer. Do you long to be in fellowship with God? The answer is, yes. So what do we do? With a passage, look where the angels go. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day arise. You want to be in fellowship with God? Believe. Believe on what Jesus did. He died for your sins. He was buried. And He rose again victorious over death. So 1 Corinthians says that death no longer stings. Death doesn't sting. Death has no victory. Because it's been conquered by the Lord Jesus. Just to wrap it up. So then we're told to go and tell. Verse number 9. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women. When they told these things to the apostles, their words seemed to them like an Idle tale. Now, idle tale is funny, okay? And, and probably what they were really saying, because we were in a very sexist environment, very likely they were saying, this is just woman talk. It's just a bunch of women who are out of their mind, okay? That's honestly, it's a derogatory term that they're using here. It's just idle talk. This is silliness. This is foolish, Nobody rises from the dead. This cannot be, it is silliness. It is childish to believe this could happen. Remember last week, I made a guy stand right here and talk to us about Mormonism. And he was going to Utah to take them the gospel. And he had a series of six questions that he, that he encouraged us to ask and to try to answer. His point was, Christianity and Mormonism are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. And we're showing us that through these questions. I was talking with a person this week, and they said, you know, when I was listening to those questions, it occurred to me, is it any more unbelievable that God lives on a planet near the star called Galab? That's where the Mormons think God lives. Is it any more unbelievable that Jesus rose from the dead? Is it any more unbelievable? Folks, the resurrection is a miracle. And we need to see 
this is not just a religious idea. This is the difference between Christianity and everything else. Search it out. Come and see. Believe and live. And then do like the apostles. Go and tell. Listen, they got it. I want to flash forward about two months after this. And the disciples figure out that Jesus is alive. And listen to Peter talk as a new man. This is from Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Peter stands up and he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And if you are in Christ today, it is impossible for death to keep its hold on you. Let's pray.